Welcome to the Book Smarts Business Podcast. Conversations with business expert authors to learn about the author, their expertise, and to help you find your next read. And now, here's your host, best-selling author and CEO of Influence Network Media, Jody Brandsetter. Jean, and welcome to the Book Smarts Business Podcast. Super excited to talk to you and about your book, Leading Inclusion. But before we dive into the book, got to know, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to um, to meet you this way, having listened to your podcast and known other people who have been guests on it. Um, but I'm an organizational psychologist, um, which simply means that, you know, the only thing I know about is how humans behave in the workplace. That is my focus. And I studied it for so long that there are so many nuances and so on that are autom- I automatically sort of notice that others might not. But how I use that, that training as an organizational psychologist is as an executive coach where I work directly one-on-one with individuals, individual leaders who are enhancing their, you know, their influence and their impact in their roles at work. And I also am interested not just in individual leader effectiveness, but I'm interested in helping leaders build inclusive workplaces and optimize talent. So I'm talking a lot with my clients and with people who who talk to me about organizational culture, about helping, how do you help, you know, enhance careers? And also, of course, how do you help, how individual leaders can really create the kind of work environments in which everybody can thrive? I was just talking to someone about culture and about um, engagement and how satisfaction and engagement are not the same thing and how a lot of companies go straight to satisfaction, which could be buying people t-shirts to um, a paycheck or a bonus. I, I, I really would love to get your feedback on what is, in your opinion, what's the difference between satisfaction and engagement And what should leaders first be looking at to make sure they have the best culture to retain that talent? Yeah, you know, it's fairly clear that when it comes to engagement, the things that really matter to employees are really sort of within them. It has to do with the way that they experience the environment of which they are a part. And so, for example, one of the key drivers of engagement is um, your pride in the organization. So just being a part of an organization uh, in which you feel, you know, your your experiences that you are is that you're seen, you're heard, you're valued, really is what makes the difference in terms of whether you feel engaged in that organization. Engagement differs from satisfaction to the extent that engagement is also a predictor of performance in a very direct way because employees who are highly engaged are not are not only likely to sort of do the work that that is required of them, but they're also likely to go above and beyond to do whatever just makes sense to to help themselves and the people with whom they work get the job done. And so you can see how from an organizational perspective, it's really beneficial if employees, if all employees could be engaged and you wouldn't expect that every single employee is going to be engaged to the maximum, but it really makes a huge difference. And that experience is really, it, it occurs, the, the, the sweet spot for employee engagement is the relationship between the employee and their immediate manager. So when we talk about culture and people tend to get lost thinking about a big organization and how do you define culture, culture it really just means what does it feel like to work here? 
and to do business with you. And in particular, what does it feel like to work here with this manager and these colleagues to get my job done? As a, a recruiter by trade, so many people ask me about, well, tell me about the work environment, you know, during that initial kind of phone conversation. And I always say it kind of varies, right? It can vary from location to location. Like each location has their own environment, yes, their own right. culture. And just like you said, it's, it's by department because those are the individuals. Those That's the work you're doing day in and day out. So you know, HR culture could be completely different than the accounting culture in the exact same building. Absolutely. And it's the reason why for all of the work that I do, I really focus on leaders because I try to let leaders see that it is what they do as well as what they don't do that determines my experience as an employee. And so we don't have to make this too complicated. What we really need to focus on is what is happening on a day-to-day -day basis. And usually when you keep the focus there, leaders can determine the things that they need to start doing that they haven't been doing. And maybe even sometimes the things they should stop doing. So I, I'm, I'm going to assume that your book, Leading Inclusion, is really focused on kind of giving a gift to the leaders on and helping them understand inclusion. Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, maybe why did you decide to write? What is the book about? Just kind of a, an overall of your author journey so far. Oh, absolutely. So the book is called Leading Inclusion, and the subtitle is Drive Change That Your Employees Can See and Feel. It's very specifically chosen. Those words were very carefully chosen because this book really is intended for you know business leaders, for board directors, and others who are interested in driving the building of an inclusive organization, you know, from a strategic perspective. And the, the what what tends to happen and what I observed, especially starting in May of 2020. 20, was that most leaders or many leaders really have good intentions in this regard. They would like to have an organization that is diverse. They'd like to have an organization which whoever shows up can feel like they can do this job well, get you know rewarded for the work they do, go home at the end of the day, and then come back tomorrow feeling good about it. But with regard to this issue of so-called diversity, equity, and inclusion, what I noticed was that leaders were making a lot of mistakes. The two most common mistakes they were making were they were assuming everybody started talking about implicit bias training and there's nothing wrong with implicit bias training. And we all, all humans are biased. Our brains operate so quickly and in such a way that we make a lot of mistakes when we just sort of automatically, you know, assume things and so on. So bias is real. But what I noticed was that leaders were really disproportionately focused on doing implicit bias training. That was never going to be a solution that would result in any significant impact. Uh, and there are a variety of reasons for that, not least of which many people who went into those training classes programs didn't want to be in them. There's, so there's that part of it. But there's also the fact that you know, uh, bias training is, is great, but it doesn't address the systemic issues that are really where leaders should be focused. So that was one thing they did that didn't work. The other thing I saw leaders do very consistently was they just went on a rampage hiring so-called DEI experts and chief diversity officers. Again, nothing wrong with hiring chief diversity officers or diversity and inclusion experts as, you know, as warranted for what you're trying to accomplish. The problem was that I noticed that many leaders were bringing in, I'm trying to bring in a more diverse organization, a group of people, but they had not laid a foundation of inclusion. 
And in my opinion, and in my, from my observations and from my work, I spent many years doing employee opinion measurement across all kinds of employees, across all kinds of organizations. And I believe that inclusion tops diversity. It tops diversity in the sense that you don't, if you just start saying, I'm just going to hire a more diverse workforce, and you bring those employees into an organization where the culture is not already inclusive, what tends to happen is it kind of feels like, you know, you're being invited to a a dinner party where you're the 11th guest and you get there, you discover there's no setting place setting for you. There are only 10 place settings. Where's my fork? Where's my knife? What am I supposed to do? I don't have a plate. And so you start, you find yourself in a situation as an, as that employee where it feels like no one thought about you before you got there. And then once you're there, they're not noticing all the things that are missing that you need in order to have a, a positive experience at this dinner. Right. So because I was seeing that, I wrote this book specifically to help leaders and, as I said, board directors think about what really are the barriers to inclusive organizations, help them think about that in a way that could help them pinpoint what did they need to solve for in their organization in order to really have meaningful outcomes from this so-called diversity, equity, and inclusion work? I think a lot of times when we're looking at this type of work, like you said, we're, we're, the executives are kind of going with, this is what they need to do. It's like the doing part when yeah. actually they need to take a step back and say, wait, I'm the strategic partner here. I should be looking at this strategically. And, and so each lens should look a little different based off of where they're at in their organization. Oh, absolutely. And that was sort of, as I said, in those two solutions that I kept hearing about or kept seeing regulators sort of implement, they, I think they were choosing those two, those two solutions because they were easy and everybody else said that that's what they should do. That was the recommendation they were getting. And again, nothing wrong with those two actions. But what if your organization has a different issue, has a, has a unique culture today. There's something about your organization that means you need to think about it in a very sort of customized way and not just adopt all of the so-called solutions that you see other people adopting. Well, that's all organizations. All organizations need to really stop and think, what are they solving for in their particular organization? It certainly could be a diversity solution where you're trying to hire more people from a certain group. Again, that's perfectly adequate. But as I have said before, what I observed is that doing just sort of hiring a more diverse workforce without thinking about inclusion, for example, or equity and other considerations usually means that you end up hiring people who do not stay in the organization because when they get there, they don't feel like this is a place where they're going to thrive. Yeah. I mean, you have to have everything ready to go so that when someone walks through the door, they feel very comfortable. I mean, I loved your example about the the dinner party and not having, you know, your plate and your fork and your chair. I mean, it's, it, I think that if, if people can start to kind of see it in a lens where it's like, we want to make sure that once someone, anyone walks into that organization, they feel like they're a part of it. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, I have really enjoyed seeing more conversations around the belonging side, because I think belonging is so important because that's, I really do think as humans, that's what we're trying to do. We want to feel like we belong where we're at. Um, would love to get kind of your, your thoughts around the belonging piece that, you know, has really kind of piped up. I'm not sure if it's, you know, I, I'm not in the DEI space, so I'm not sure if it's more of what, you know, sometimes in recruiting, we'll have a 
they'll flash something like the everyone thinks right now that you know chat gbt is um reviewing all resumes it's not happening people that's right recruiters are actually looking at every resume but you know so there's always some of those like those keywords that come out that maybe aren't actually real. <laughs> it's like, oh, mm-hmm. you, you, we're talking about it, but it's not an actual thing. So so love to get your perspective on belonging and how that should be working within an organization. Well, I'm glad you asked because actually belonging is a word that I do not use in this kind of work. And there, there are some very specific reasons. There's nothing wrong with the concept of belonging. And that concept became popular within the last 10 years, especially uh, it started, I think, at primary at LinkedIn, and then it spread throughout the tech world, where uh, this idea that belonging was the outcome that you're really driving to. The challenge with belonging is that after all these years, people still can't define it. The second problem with belonging is that you will see, if you think about it, that belonging is basically putting the the bonus, putting the, the onus or the pressure on the person coming into the organization to figure out where they're going to fit in, right? When, when I think that it is, in fact, the responsibility of leaders and the organizational culture to create this kind of inclusion so that when I show up, I don't have to like struggle to figure out how I belong. So that's another reason I'm not a fan of belonging. It's very hard to measure. And if you ask somebody, do you feel like you belong? The, 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 the answer to that question does not necessarily come up with, with uh, responses that leaders can do something about because it's sort of a very sort of personalized perspective. So the fourth reason, and this will be my last objection to, to belonging, because of course you can tell that this is something I've given a lot of thought to and researched, is that the thing about belonging, especially if you're think, thinking about African-Americans or people um, who have who are descendants of enslaved peoples, the, the word belonging is actually the opposite of something that they would ever say because it, is, it connotes that sort of ownership thing. And so that's not something people think about a lot, but I don't use belonging. Instead, I believe, based on the research I did for this book, that the outcome that employees are driving to or the outcome that they care about and desire to have instead of belonging is respect. And respect is a very simple sounding word because we've heard it so many times before. But the funny thing about respect is it, it is the thing that employees can can sort of sense whether they're receiving it from their very first interaction with a company. In fact, even before they interact with the company, they can kind of sense it, but they definitely sense it in their interactions with hiring managers, recruiters, that first person that they see when they show up at the company for their first day at work. And of course, with their manager and their colleagues. And in my work, I defined respect as being, you know, feel to feel, believing that you're, you're seen, that you're heard and that you're valued. So if I feel, seen, if I feel heard, if I feel valued, then I feel respected because a lot of that comes from just, I'm here and immediately you accept me as just a human. I'm just another human. I'm here to do this work. I have ideas. You let me express them. You make space for that. And then of course you provide me with the, you show my, your value that you value me through recognition and compensation and so on in a very equitable way. So I am really a fan of putting respect first. I like that. And I think respect, trust, those two equate to engagement too. Mm-hmm. They absolutely relate to that. Yeah. And, you know, when you were talking about the belonging and, and providing your your thoughts, and I absolutely loved it, the one thing I was thinking about was 
belonging also feels like I have to be like everyone else. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It definitely is. It puts the, the burden on that person. And I don't think that's the right way to do it. I think it's the other way around when you're building an organization or thinking strategically is to say, what can we do to create that that carpet, that landing for everybody who shows up here that feels from the from the get go like, oh, yeah, I'm here, you know, and I and that is part of that whole respect idea. It was so good. Well, Gina, I absolutely adored this conversation. I appreciate you being on the podcast. How can our listeners connect with you and what's the best way for them to buy your book? Great. Thank you for that question. So Leading Inclusion is available wherever books are sold. So in any bookstore. But um, if you want to purchase the book, go to my website, Gina Cox, G-E-N-A-C-O-X is my name, ginacox.com slash book. And that will give you the opportunity to learn more about the book as well as more about me. And of course, you can purchase uh, the book through that page as well. I am also on LinkedIn and I'm very active there and always looking to meet new people on LinkedIn. So you can also find me uh, on LinkedIn by searching for my name. We will add all that to the episode notes. Thank you so much for being a part of the Booksmarts Business Podcast. Oh, it has really been a pleasure. I love that your questions are so specific to the kind of work that I do. And I can tell that you appreciate, you know, that kind of business context. So thank you for having me, Jody. Thanks for listening to the Booksmarts Business Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show and share this episode with a friend. In the meantime, if you're interested in learning more about possibly becoming an author yourself, please visit OvernightAuthor.com for more information. Until next time.